Deuces! Why are you sickos? Yeah! Take that with you. Intro to the stars right there. So Tara told me right before I came up here, she goes, less F-bombs so you guys can make yourself more distributable. And I go, you know what, Distributable. Oh, my God. I said, that's a great fucking idea. That's awesome. Awesome. Way to go with the multisyllabic words, too, Tara. Nicely done. Oh, so thrill. Let's start this off uh, talking about one of the all-time legends to play the game who passed away today at the age of 86, Brooks Robinson, widely known as the best third baseman to ever play the position. Do you have any memories, any thoughts, any opportunities to meet Brooks throughout the course of the years? You know what? I mean, I met him uh, not only uh, through the the Players Association because he was a a spokesperson for the alumni, but then, you know, needless to say, when I played in Baltimore, I I had a chance to be around him a little bit. Just a super, super man. I mean, just one of the good guys of the sport and, you know, straight Hall of Famer, like you said, one of the best third basemen that ever played the hot corner. I mean, look at some of the replays. I mean, just go through them and – I mean, it's just gold glove play after another, after another. And, uh, you know, he did it at, at old Memorial stadium. I mean, it was not a, not a really great place to play and he did it. So, uh, you know, and then not only that, he, he lent his name to the alumni association. He led the charge to, uh, you know, get, you know, some of the guys who were less fortunate, you know, uh, taken care of a little bit by the, by the guys who are making some cash, now and uh you know uh like i said just a just a great person so check out some of these numbers the human vacuum cleaner is what they called him he won 16 gold glove awards are you fucking kidding no kidding i mean that's that's like absolutely amazing absolutely amazing he played 23 years thrill Born in 1937 in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's just some, I, I, you know, look, you don't want anyone to kick the farm, right? Like, it's not great, though. Obviously, he just passed away. It is a cool opportunity, though, to go back and celebrate, you know, some of these crazy accomplishments and look at the path. He signed with the Orioles for $4,000. And made his debut for the team later that year at the age of 18. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, I mean, you know, we, you and I even said it, you know, 86. And you start looking around. I mean, you know, his contemporaries were amazing. McCovey and those guys like that. So, I mean, you know, he was he was right there in the middle of everything in the 50s and 60s, you know. Yeah, it says Robinson... Uh, his playing time waned in 1976 because of Doug DeSensis, who uh, I played with Tim, and you know, I, unfortunately, Tim passed away. Uh, Doug is still with us, but I remember Doug talking to me about what it was like replacing Brooks Robinson, and he didn't wish that upon anybody. He's like, dude, it, it's it's just really really hard and he was in his own head and he, pretty soon he 
realize he's like, look, I got to stop trying to replace Brooks Robinson because you're not going to replace Brooks Robinson the same way, Thrill. You, for a long time, you know, after you left San Francisco, they couldn't find another first baseman. As a matter of fact, I mean, outside of, I guess, JT Snow. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't homegrown by any means, but outside JT Snow was probably the next guy, but that was, you know, well after. And, you know, his career with the Giants wasn't all that long. Um, what what was it like? Just dude, you came into the league and you replaced Jack Clark. Yeah. So, so much so that they even gave you <laughs> Jack's jersey. Why don't you go ahead and share that story one more time? Oh, Lord. They're just saving money is all they were doing. So, uh, so when, uh, you know, I, I, I finally signed a contract maybe about, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks after being drafted uh, after we got out the College World Series and flew to San Francisco. Mike Murphy said, hey, look, the only jersey I got is Clark 22 from Jack. And I was like, that's fine, you know. So I held up, you know, to Clark 22 or whatever and you know, took all the pictures, whatever, and then, so, you know, I go to Fresno, play that year, and then the next year in spring training, I wound up making the team, and I go to I go to Murph, and I go, hey, uh, you know, is there a way I can get 23? That was, you know, my, my amateur number. And he goes, well, that's Uribe's number. You got to go ask him. And so I went and asked Uribe, and he goes, no, man, not that my number. You get another one. So I went, back, I went back to Murph, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm going with the 22 Clark thing. And he said, no problem. So – that's how that's how I did. And uh, first year or so, I don't know. I got called Jack a few times, quite a few times. Yeah, but uh, we have moved on since then. So, did Jose Uribe ever yeah. ever ask you for anything? Like, yeah, man, you want twenty three? No problem. I'll take a Ferrari in my parking spot tomorrow. No, nah, he didn't. He didn't even. He didn't even say any of that stuff. He was just like, no, man. You you know you know can get that. I'm like, All right, oh. So, we, you know Brooks Robinson. You talked about his work with the Players Association, yeah, because he ran the MLB Players Alumni Association for years. Yeah. And yeah. like you said, you know, really it was just him giving his time, effort, and energy to ball players of the past of all the guys that may not have been so fortunate to have these illustrious careers and make hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever. And I just feel like, you know, he did a, a, such an awesome job. That was my one opportunity to be around him when he would show up at like spring training and talking about the alumni. I do know this. I mean, dude, you know, how much money that like current players do put into that. It's, it's huge. And it, it keeps uh, the MLB players alumni association alive and well. And it, you know, what a great ambassador for the game of baseball and what a awesome contribution to, you know, make to the game. And, you know, talk about leaving it better than you found it. I feel like Brooks Robinson did that. Yeah, no, he, he definitely did it. You know I mean? He was like, like we talked about, you know, he was all about helping, you know, the generation that needed help. You know, the, the modern day players were starting to make, you know, quite a bit of money. And as you well know, because you were there in spring training, what they would do is they would come in, the alumni would come in and they'd make a pitch to the current player saying, Hey, listen, can you just help us out a little bit? You know, give it, give us a little fund here and there. 
And uh, believe it or not, when uh, we renegotiated the uh, the contract, the TV contract and all that in 94, we also put a little sum aside for the alumni. So, uh, you know, they got a little foot in the door. And then, uh, you know, I mean, because of people like Brooks Robinson and people like that that have donated their time, their money, their efforts, whatever, you know, I thought that I should do the same thing. And so right now, uh, every time I go to San Francisco, I sign autographs for the Alumni Association. They have a table up in the concourse up there and they sell memorabilia and all that. And, you know, me being a giant and they're they're in San Francisco. Uh, they make a lot of money right there. And so it's my little way of giving back to the Alumni Association as well. That, that's really cool, man. I, the A's, nor the Diamondbacks, nor the Rockies, nor the Orioles, nor the Mariners have ever asked me to come back and sign any sort of autographs. So I can't help them out uh, there at, at that point. Nor have they ever fucking asked me to come back. Now the A's fans voted me, though, Thrill, to the... 50th anniversary team and so in that case i got the invitation to come back hey i want to just go over a few of these brooks robertson stats and just some fun stuff i mentioned the 16 consecutive gold gloves i said 16 i didn't know they were consecutive uh he's the best third baseman according to all the metrics in major league baseball history he's seventh in war that's wins above a replacement at third base an 18 Time All-Star. 1970 postseason hero. I think we're still seeing clips of that when he's making those sick plays down the line. He was the MVP of the American League, an All-Star game, and a World Series. All three. The O's, he was with them for 23 seasons. That was the only team that he ever played for. He had 20 opening day starts. He played 2,896 games. And Brooks Robinson thrill, a first ballot Hall of Famer. So on those notes, let's raise up this brand new bottle of tequila. Oh, look at that, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Ocho. This is a good shit, man. Oh, look at you now. Look at you now. All I can counter with is the... uh, Blue mountain tops, but I like I like the Ocho right there, baby. You look at Bueno. Hey, so to Brooks, may he rest in happiness, love, and glory. Hey, keep picking it, big boy, at the hot corner, my man. All right, Thrill. The San Francisco Giants are fucking done. Ugh. Well, put it this way. I mean... Any combination of like a loss and somebody else winning and crap like that, they'll get mathematically eliminated. Uh, but, you know, you want to go out on top. And, you know, the, the big thing that we having problems with right now, I mean, uh, let's see, Jackson, I think, went on paternity leave. And I don't know, somebody else did something else. And, you know. So we got we got some injuries. Uh, Keaton wins on the COVID DL. So I I don't know. I mean I'm just I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say. Well, I mean it's not a big deal. It's a team that is not going to go to the postseason. It's a team that 
if you asked me before the season, I didn't think they were going to the postseason. I figured that they would be a 500 team. They're 78 and 79, one game ahead of the San Diego Padres. So who would have thunk as dog shit of a season that the Padres have had that the San Francisco Giants would just be one up on them with less than a week to go in the regular season. I think everyone's just disappointed more than anything because of the fact that they were contending. And it was almost like they got our hopes up and then all of a sudden is like, nah, just kidding. We're not that fucking good. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, look, you know, you, you pull for them. I mean, you know, you pull for them so hard and, you know, because you want to make the playoffs. You know, we, we got a, a pattern of winning that we've created in, in this organization. And just to kind of see how it all went down, I mean, you know, I, I thought that if, if you'd asked me that our bullpen would have been this good at the beginning of the year, I'd have been like, ah, I don't know. And I uh, I think they've done a yeoman's job. I mean, you know, look at how many times that they've been asked to, to you know, do the bullpen games and all that sort of stuff. And they, they every one of them just take the ball and go out there and do it. Um, offensively, to be totally honest, I thought we'd be a little bit better. Uh, we've been very inconsistent. But, I mean, hey, look. That that's just the major leagues. I mean, sometimes you you know you have up years and down years. Um, the one thing that we have always prided ourselves in, and it's it's something that really concerns me, is our defense. Uh, we're we're last in the major leagues. Luker even brought it up last week. Uh, we're last in the major leagues, you know, in fielding and and stuff like that. And that does not bode well for a pitching staff that's out there busting its ass. Mm-hmm. So we talked a lot about it. And again, like, I don't want to wear it out, uh, but <laughs> they're arguably the slowest team in baseball. They were the worst defensive team in baseball. Uh, statistically, like you just, you, you can't, you can't argue. I mean, that. I mean, you can't you can't overlook that. And you know, you know, I, I had a big talk. Believe it or not, I was at Mississippi State this last weekend. Um, I went up to the ranch and and shot some hogs and stuff like that. And the baseball coach asked me to come out there and work with some of their first basemen. And so we were working on defense with the first baseman. And I said, look, you know, I mean, everybody loves to hit. I mean, everybody wants to be three for four and up at the plate. And people talk to their blue in the face about hitting. But when it comes to fielding, uh, I mean, that's like that's like even more of an important deal. And the reason being, and you and I have talked about this before, before everybody in the chat room's heard it, is you're going to be 0 for 4. You're going to be 0 for 3. But, damn it, you can go out there and bust your ass defensively, make a hell of a diving play like you made in the outfield numerous occasions, and change a ball game. Just completely completely change a ball game by playing defense. And that's always something that the Giants have prided themselves in and to see where they're at now and to see for me personally, like what goes on, you know, before the game and how much defense is worked on. And, and some guys don't even smell the field and stuff like that. It's like, uh, 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 no, you need to get your butt on out there and practice a little bit more. 
Well, we talked about this earlier in the season because we talked about the outfielders and taking balls live in batting practice is the only way to really simulate what you're going to yeah. in a game. Yeah. We talked about the infielders with the early work and the drills and everything. Like, dude, that's fucking everything. Like, that is what makes you a better defensive player. I was a terrible outfielder when I got to the big leagues. I'm not kidding you. I was crazy athletic, but as far as just being an outfielder, I was not good. The work that I put in with Mike Quaddy, with Ron Washington, that's what made me a great outfielder. I went from being somebody who's never played outfield before college, right? And then I, when I was in college, I just played one position. So it wasn't like I was this multi-outfield sort of guy. But then I end up getting to the big leagues. I put that work in, and through that work, I become, quote-unquote, the best left fielder in baseball in 2007, according to Bill James with the Fielding Bible Award. All the metrics, fucking everything. So to think that you could develop into that, it's it's awesome. But if the work's not getting put in, and I don't know if it is or not. I'm not around there, bro. I just don't know. But I do know, if you want to be a great outfielder, you know what you got to do? You got to play the fucking outfield. You don't want to be a great infield. You only got to do take a fuck ton of ground balls. <laughs> totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. And you know, I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing. And that's exactly why I brought it up. When I show up, all right, and I don't miss a thing. You know, you and I talk about it, and, and everybody in chat room knows. When I'm there, I don't miss anything. I know who's taking ground balls. I know who's taking bad practice. I know who's working on left to right, right to left, all that sort of stuff. And when I see the same victims over and over and over and over again, not taking fly balls, not taking ground balls, not doing this, not base running, whatever it might be, all of a sudden when, hey, look, we're last in the major leagues at this category, uh, guess what? Fingers start getting pointed. And As they should. Yeah, I know. I mean – you know, and, and little stuff, little stuff. Like the other the other night, I mean, we're in the second inning with a man on third base, one out, and we lost track of the the outs. And we make a catch in the outfield, and we just sort of vapor locked, and the guy walked home. You know, Come that on. was a big run. That's a big run. All you And the, the guy was in throwing position. He could have thrown the guy out at home plate. But, you know, hey, look, these are the kind of things that happen when you lose – I mean, you know, things pile on, but the effort level should always be there. The work ethic should always be there. And that's what me personally on the outside looking in, sitting there watching it and sitting there watching how we went about it. You went about it. The World Series teams went about it. Uh, I'm not seeing that right now. So. We don't like the point fingers, and when we do, we usually go like this, and it's it's back at me. What can I do better? Right Right now, I'm going to point my finger right there because my wife's standing outside of Studio 22 because apparently she wants to join the show. There would be no other reason why she would be standing there. Uh, Either that or or she's wanting to tell us what's on Smell-O-Vision tonight. 
Come in, honey. You can't like if you're gonna disrupt the show. And the other thing, you have to talk into the mic. We're, do you realize <laughs> we're going on 17 different yeah. podcast platforms now? This, like the mic matters. This is important. Okay, talk. To Fire away. Hi, how you doing? What's the smell of vision? Just Chinese chicken salad. Like last nice. few days of summer, keep it simple, right? I oh, oh, summer's over. Chinese chicken salad. It's hot. Break, breaking news. Because Eric likes to report on the Taylor Swift dating drama, right? Go ahead and read out, out loud to our listening audience. Holy shit! <laughs> this has got to be a joke! What? I don't believe it! What? Okay, this say- says breaking. Mark Bellhorn and Taylor Swift have been quietly hanging out per source. They began Snapchatting after Taylor watched 30 for 34 days in October. Sorry, Travis Kelsey. Holy shit. <laughs> You're talking about Mark Bellhorn, the old, the, the old Cub player? And the Red Sox. And the, Red the A's. Sox, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well... Hey, he better watch out. He might have a freaking song written after him. He better watch his ass. It's going to happen. Bellhorn and Eric were on the same team in Sacramento and the Dominican, right? Oh, man. Like, I, yeah. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Oh, I say, here, give me the mic. So, <laughs> give me the mic. Here's, me the, here's mic. the deal, dude. Mark Bellhorn is one of the guys that we used to go to the bar with back in the day. And this, honestly, was one of my best friends. He was my roommate in Double A. I absolutely love him. He has a demeanor about him that is just so cool, so calm. Where he also remember this, like is is now. I feel like he gained a few LBSs over the years. So who knows? But Me he too. like, jeez. You can't drop the Ocho? Ocho, baby. We have so, the new stuff. The new stuff. So Bellhorn was the guy that we'd go to the bar and we'd tell him, dude, just stand here and look pretty. We'll do the work. <laughs> he was he was the, the good looking one. He didn't have the gift of gab, huh? No, he well, he no, he didn't. Absolutely not. But if you got him in a conversation one-on-one in a quiet environment he's gonna reel them in it's over but in a loud gregarious yeah 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 no that that wasn't your guy there's no way i fucking believe that i just don't believe it i I don't believe it i i I don't believe it now i wouldn't be shocked i just because i know bellhorn and he has pulled some of the hottest chicks i've ever seen in my life and smart ones and yeah Ah, oh, wow. That'd be something else, man. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a director, you know, nothing. I'm a, a class rocker in the country. So she, she's like a genre, so she sort of lost me. <laughs> she started. One of them number. You got to remember her, right? Yeah, whatever. You know, I know, I know if you're 14 years old, everybody freaking goes crazy over her. So anyway. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you can click that, but what happens to Will if I click that? 
nothing. We just got the chat going. I mean, Tara wants to, you know, I get it. Honey, if you want to go downstairs. Tara, quit poking around on a freaking. I know. Oh, no, no, just leave it alone. Good night, honey. Good night, I love well. you. You got it, Tara. Good luck with your chicken salad. What do you mean chicken salad? That's it? Chicken salad. Lettuce and noodles and all that shit in there. Chicken salad? Hey, while we're, snowman, while we're right? talking about this, all right, while we're talking oh, about this, you know, <laughs> hey, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, defense, offense, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, this is part of, you know, the new rules of baseball and all that sort of stuff. So I was telling you, you know, Luke Jackson, he went on the paternity leave, so then he had to leave the team. They call up Sean Jaley. This is the eighth time that Jaley's been up on a major league level. And he has, all right, let me see. He's been optioned five times. So if they take him off, if Jackson comes back and they, they take Jaylee off, they open him up waivers, and you're talking about a number two pick. You know, so you you almost expose one of our number two picks. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next five days of the season. Well, you can't do that, can you? No, I mean – you know, I mean, if you open him up like that, then somebody can come in here and scoop him up. Okay, Thrill, I have something right here that is fascinating. And we play in a day and age where matchups are important for all teams. But ultimately, we both believe, and I'll speak for us, that consistent playing time is as important, if not more important than say matchups in the long run, when it comes to getting the most out of your players. So the San Francisco giants tonight, their starting lineup, I'm going to rip through. All right. Let me, and, let me go. Let me go to the lineup here. I'll pull it up too. Okay. All right. Go ahead. I'm on you. Go. It's Lamont Wade jr. 17 homers, 45 runs driven in. Yastrzemski 15 and 43. J.D. Davis, 18 and 69. That's the leader in the clubhouse. Peterson, 15 and 51. Estrada, 13 and 48. Conforto, 15 and 58. Luciano, 0 and 0. Sable, 13 and 44. And then Fitzgerald, 1 and 3. And then we left out the one that's not in the lineup is Wilma Flores, who's 22 and like 59 or something like that. Okay. So... Wildly regarded as the best team in baseball going into the post and wildly regarded as the best team in baseball going into the postseason is the Atlanta Braves. They are 156. Tonight's starting lineup, Ronald Acuna Jr., 40 and 101. Ozzy Albies, 32 and 104. Austin Riley, 37 and 96. Matt Olson. 53 and 130 fucking three. Marcelo Zuna, 36 and 90. Orlando Arcia, 17 and 64. Michael Harris, the second, 18 and 54. Sean Murphy, 21 and 68. And then Kevin Pillar, 8 and 30. There is your best. They got, they got two guys. They got two guys in their lineup that have less than our starting nine. The other seven have all more than our starting nine. Yes. So, so 
you know, here's another thing, too. I mean, you know, yeah, there's a lot of platooning going on and stuff like that. And I don't know exactly how many at-bats all of these guys got. But you would think, you know, they would be above 50 RBIs for the year, you know, and 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 just they're not. I mean, and if you ever notice, I mean, we hit a lot of solo homers. That's kind of who we are right now. Don't you think, though, that – and this is going to go back to what we were talking about. I feel like we're beating a dead horse now. But when you have those everyday guys, because you could tell, like, I mean, the, the first – like eight guys in the lineup are basically everyday guys. And when you have those guys that are getting that consistent playing time that are able to pile up those gigantic numbers, the overall slugging percentage for the Atlanta Braves, you won't even fucking believe this. It's I, I don't even want to guess. It's probably 890 or something like that. No, no overall just slugging is 501. Oh. Just slugging. Yeah. It, it's yeah, insane. No, that, that's awesome. So, and that's as a team. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, uh, Ryan uh, just came on the chat room. He said something about uh, Webb talking about playing cards more important in the clubhouse than taking winning seriously. Did you read any articles about that? I didn't hear anything about that. Really? Yeah. Ryan, you're going to have to, you're going to have to like, give up the dirt on that. I didn't, I didn't hear anything about that. Cause normally when somebody talks shit, uh, Bernsey and I find out about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we typically do, but I would have to say that if that is the case, that's an issue. Now I would also make the argument that you go into any major league clubhouse and the boys are gonna be playing cards. Yeah. Right? Agreed. Agreed. You know, and and that's that's the thing. You know, I mean, you know, they're going to relax a little bit, but if you're playing cards when you should be on the field, or you know, playing cards when you're in the batting cage and not on the field, or whatever it is, I can't, I can't agree with that. So one of the things. No, but I think we've Linda, all. Linda says Linda says it's on social media. I don't. I'm not a social media dude, so I don't know what the hell's going on there, but. It you says know, Andrew Bagley wrote that they're taking a certain card game very serious, and some guys seem like they aren't upset when they lose like they should. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. Okay, I appreciate that. Appreciate you clearing that one up. Uh, I put it this way: I mean, I know him just because I've been around the clubhouse a lot. But Bagley, I can I can take what he says with a grain of salt. I can take it as far as I can throw him. Um, you know he's 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 a he's definitely a, a little backstabber at times. So, um, you know, for me personally, you know, I've seen the card games and all that, and but I'm on I'm out on the field. When it's time to be on the field, I'm on the field. And like I told you before, I know who's there and I know who's not, and I also know who needs more work and I know who needs less work because they're doing their job out there. So, so thrill. If I were to run a, a big league team, the way I'm looking at this, because I think this is what happened. We got lost. Like, we've literally have let the prisoners run the asylum. And <laughs> if you want to take it back to the old school, and you're one of your teammates, for example, was the manager in Reno, Brett Butler. Yeah. And I... 
had heard all sorts of different things about Brett Butler when it came to managing. And I do know that he was very hands-on. Well, with Brett Butler as a manager in Reno, we would take infield every day. We would hit on the field every day. You were expected to be in the stretch line every day. Early work every day. And at first, I was like, what the fuck, dude? I'm on a rehab assignment. I'm trying to get my hamstring right. And so I was a little separated from all of it because I would do the stretching on my own. I had these exercises I had to go through. But after a while, let's just call it like a week, and I watched the way they went about their business, man, I fucking loved it. It was a reminder of how awesome the game used to be with all that work that we put into it. Right. So this is the one thing. This is the one thing. And especially when they give me an opportunity to address the teams when I go into the minor leagues, if they do give me an opportunity. And here's another thing. I won't even be asked. I'll just come out and say it. All right. In the middle of a hitters meeting or in the middle of a pitchers meeting is, hey, look, boys, you know, when we come out here to work, all right, you, you're looking around. You think it's your teammates and the coaching staff that's out here. No. Look up in the stands. Every day you're out on the field, there's at least three or four scouts that are in the stands. You know that because you played and you had to play in front of them. There's at least three or four scouts in the stands, and they're writing reports. And so I tell everybody, I'm like, look, not only are you out here improving your game, but you're showing off for somebody else because – you might not make it to the major leagues with the San Francisco Giants, but you might make it with another team in a trade or whatever because somebody sitting in those stands likes you a lot. And, you know, then all of a sudden I think the kids start to get it, you know, and you start seeing a better effort out on the field. You start seeing everybody doing a little bit better work. Okay, so the Giants basically have San Diego here tonight. Tomorrow, they have San Diego again, another 645 start. And then they have Thursday off, it looks like. Thursday's off, and and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday against the hated Dodgers. Yeah, that's it, man. I mean, you chalk it up. So, look, I I wanted to kind of avoid this question, but I'm not going to because this is no filter, and I'll let you answer it how you want. And if it's too over the top, I'll make sure to uh, not put it on fucking TikTok. But there's already been one coaching change. Brian Bannister is not going to return. He's taken some sort of position with the White Sox as the uh, pitching coordinator or strategist or whatever. And they're expecting more changes within the organization, potentially from the manager on down. Uh, What changes do you think will be made, should be made, and, you know, ultimately, I, I don't even want to put you on a hot spot like that. Do no, you, I, I get what you're saying. I get, I get exactly what you're saying. And, I mean, you know, you, you got to look at it this way. I mean, <clears throat> this year has not gone the way it, they wanted it to. Last year has not gone the way that they wanted to. And in the past, people get hacked. They get They get their jobs chopped. And – you know, there should be some people that should be squirming in their chairs right now. I'm, You know, I got some people in mind. I'm not going to come out and say it. 
But whenever you're last in a category in the major leagues, that does not bode well for your job security, if you know what I'm saying. No. And, and so anyway, for me personally, um, you know, I hated to see it. I hated to see a coach get whacked. You know, and that's why I was like, hey, look, you know, we need to win. We need to win every year. Even if we don't win, you know, the title, we need to be on that other guys would not lose their jobs. Guys that have been in the clubhouse with us the whole year. And uh, it's unfortunate, but, you know, that's the, that's the way it is. I mean, look at look at how many people – I mean, look at how many people are getting into, you know, this game from the analytics end of things. And guess what? If uh, our guys that are analytical aren't doing analytical stuff, well, then let's get another analytical guy in here. So you never know. Yeah, I think you have to consistently be thinking about how you can improve in every single arena. Yeah. like No matter what. what, So what's the first eyesore is probably the defense. Let's start there. How are we going to defensively get better? So I would go to the defensive coaches. I would go to the analytics. I don't know if it was a positioning thing, but obviously just from a fielding percentage wise, they were the worst in all of baseball. So I don't know, man. I, I, I look. Hey, look, look, I mean, it's just a fact. I mean, it's just a fact. When you lose uh, ownership fans, the whole works, they are not going to sit around and keep taking the freaking right crosses to the cheek. You know, they're going to, they're going to make an adjustment and it's happened throughout the history of baseball. The history of baseball is if you don't win, there's changes to be made. And, you know, for me personally, Hey, Hey, look, the game's changed so much. There's a lot of blame to go around. There is a lot of blame to go around. I mean, you can part. You can point your fingers at a lot. I mean, a lot of individuals, and that's just the way it is. Hey, look, you want to you want to be you know a stand up guy or whatever. Hey, stand in front of the mirror every day. You know, hey, I screwed up. You know, I wasn't. I didn't take care of my job. Whatever it is. All right, but don't go freaking hiding and expect to have job security. Yeah, it's the reality of any industry is that when you don't have the success that you were expected to have, then there are changes that are going to be made. The question is going to be, is it going to mean that Farhan Zaidi is the one who is accountable? Is it Gabe Kapler? Is it the other 15 members of the coaching staff? It's sort of like, well, where do you start? I think there's a lot of good that Farhan's done. I do. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, he's done he's done a lot of a lot of good for the organization, you know. Um you know, and he's he's the 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 figurehead right now. I mean, he's right yeah. on the ownership group. And so, you know, for to be the fans that are going to get rid of Farhan if anything happens, it's going to be the ownership group. Uh Kapler, you know, he is the on the field you know, representative, and he's a direct, you know, I guess you want to say, for lack of a better term, underling from Zaidi, but he's the guy that runs the day-to-day stuff. And if things go south on his watch, you know, hey, look, the people people are, are going to start, you know, taking note of that. 
And, you know, look, what was it, two years ago, three years ago when we had the 107 wins? Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't really think about it, but, I mean, that's that's pretty good distance in the rearview mirror right now. So, you know, it's it's kind of the old adage, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, and that's interesting because they did win 107 games. They were platooning. They are doing a lot of the same shit they're doing now, and it worked. And Farhan was getting exalted as the great savior of the Giants and new analytics. Kapler was the guy that apparently pushed all the right buttons. Well, uh, you know, they didn't get out of the divisional round, and they had that epic game five with the Dodgers. But is it, I, I just, and I don't know the answer to it, Thrill. And, and that's, is it time to make a change? I don't know if I would make a change at the top with Farhand. I, it just doesn't seem like a, a fair shake being that they haven't spent. Now, they've spent some money, don't get me wrong. But, you know, they've went after a couple of the top free agents. But now we're at the point where uh, if if Kapler, let's just say he's he's walking a really, really, really on, on thin ice at this point. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be, right? And the uh, you know what? I don't, I don't know, but you know, I mean, hey, look, you know, whenever you whenever you lose, I'm telling you, whenever you lose, it's it it doesn't bode well for job security. And so, hey, look, you know, I'm just I'm just here. I'm just I'm just paying attention. But I can, you know, when I'm in town, like I said, I don't miss a trick, and I know what goes on, you know, pregame and who's getting to work in, who ain't. And how many people are, are uh, uh oh somebody, okay. somebody you know what, be, bro? hang on. Oh Soto Soto homered on a he whacked one in the center. Oh yeah. Was Brevy to leave one right there for him? Yeah, look at it. All right. So Thrill, I'm gonna nominate ourselves. There's already 16 members of the coaching staff. And I just figure if there's 16 members of the coaching staff, you might as well make it 18 members of the coaching staff. And for next season, you and I come in there and our official title is going to be the anti-pussy police. And so (laughs) the ass kicking police, basically what that means is that we're going to take all the guys and we're going to make them work offensively, defensively. We're just there to make sure they actually take batting practice, that they are playing balls live during the BP sessions, that they're doing the early work, that they're hitting early, that they're studying video, and that's just us. That's what we do. Yo, bro, and then we're going to sit down and we're going to talk fucking ball with them. Like we used to do drinking the fucking Coors Lights after the ball game was over. Correct? You're right. You're Are we right. good with that? I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. All Look, right. hey, you know, my big thing, my big thing is you can talk about it all you want. All right. You know, you can you can do whatever you want. You can have the little freaking stupid ass cards in your hat and look at your hat, figure out where to shit to play. But if you hit that warning track and you don't know how far you got to go to the fence or 
you know, you don't know how to find the fence, get to the fence first and then jump and you know, stuff like that. That's a major problem to me. That's a major problem. That's a, that should be ingrained in every outfielder. Infielders the same, you know, when you get to the fence, look down, find the fence, you know, know how far you got to go before you crash into that son of a gun, you know, know where the winds are blowing. San Francisco, the winds always blow in San Francisco. Know where they blow in your own home ballpark. So let's move on from the Giants now because they're not going to make the postseason. And let's go to a team that I have a good feeling is the Texas Rangers and Bruce Bochy. Here is a guy that in a lot of ways is the anti-Gabe Kapler. He has punched all the right buttons. The Rangers, as soon as you thought they were dead like a week ago, had won five in a row, six in a row now, and they're on the brink of playing in October. Oh, I mean, you know, you know Bruce very well. He was at your retirement ceremony thrill. How happy are you for him, man? You know, I'm I'm extremely happy for him, you know, and and uh, you know, Dusty Baker. I mean, two of the old schoolers that you know, do it the right way. And they, they go about, you know, they go about their job the way it's supposed to be done. And, you know, they, that's why you see in, you know, both of them having success, uh, you know, Dusty and them won the series last year, both of them are in first place in the West right now. They won again today. And, you know, I mean, I, I just pull, I pull for the guys that do it the right way. So there you go. When you talk old school versus new school, and it, it's gonna, it's a, it's a hot topic. It always has been. It doesn't make. We go back to when we played, right? It was always no. Everything was old school versus new school. What do you think is the perfect blend, if there is a perfect blend? So, so I because because everybody is so hung up on the analytical, I. Like the analytical when it shows me patterns, right? If I look at a at a chart or if I look at a printout and it shows me one oh he goes to this pitch this side to play, uh, two one he goes to this pitch ninety percent of the time. When I start seeing those kind of things and then I watch video and it it's the same thing over and over, well then that gives me a big time game plan when I go up to home plate. So I try to. Use the analytical, and then I go with my gut. Always go with my gut instinct. Your gut instinct, and you well know it, and we've talked about it in the chat room, your gut instinct is right like 99.9% of the time. Yeah. You know, just whenever you start second-guessing yourself, you you got to back out the batter's box. Whoa, 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 wait a second here. I know what I'm going to see. Let me look for it. And sure enough, you're going to get it. I – do not like the analytical side of things when they tell me, no, you're going to get this pitch. And I know for a fact, I ain't going to get it. So that's when I, that's when I start having problems with these people. The, the other part of it is that they're not always going to execute that pitch. No. And, and so, here's another thing. Here's another thing. You go into a game. All right. And everybody in, everybody in the chat room, y'all pay attention to this because you've seen it before. You go into a game and a guy can't throw his fastball for strikes. Well, what the shit is he going to do? He's not going to keep throwing fastballs if, if they're out the zone. 
he's going somewhere else. And so your scouting report might say, hey, look, you know, 78.6% of the time he's throwing fastball. If he can't throw it for a strike, he ain't throwing the fucker. All right? Or if he is throwing it, first thing I'm going to do is go, I'm going to spit on it because I'm waiting on the one he's going to throw for a strike. There you go. Breaking news here. Thrill the Phillies. Clinch a postseason spot with a walk-off win. So when you look at the playoff picture right now, it looks like we're going to have the Orioles that win the AL East. You have the Rays are three back at this point. You have the Twins on top of the Central, the Rangers, two and a half up on the Astros in the West. In the National League, it's the Braves, Brewers, and Dodgers that have all basically run away with the divisions. So the wild card teams in the American League are the Rays, the Blue Jays, and the Astros right now, the Mariners are a game and a half back. And then in the National League, it's the Phillies who have now clinched. And the Diamondbacks and the Cubs are tied for that second spot. And then the Marlins are just one game back. The Reds are two games back. There's a lot fucking going on, man, in the National League. Yeah, you ain't kidding. There's a lot going on in the National League. Um, you know, there's a lot of jostling. I mean... You know, the, the Marlins are a game out. Cincinnati's two games out, you know, with tonight, counting tonight, five to play. So, I mean, hey, look, you know, I mean, there's some there's some kind of balls to the walls going on in some of these clubhouses. You know, everybody knows what's what's uh, what's available. And so, you know, they uh, it's 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 fun. I mean, you know, it's fun. Playoff baseball is fun. The the one thing that that for me is completely different was the fact that we just had to flat out win it. And there was, there wow. was no wild card, nothing yet. Win this. And so like, like three is perfect. It came down the last day of season. Damn near head to head. And, but yet now you're looking at, well, now Philly clinched, but you're looking at Arizona, Chicago, Miami, Cincinnati, San Fran. You're looking at five teams vying for two spots, you know? Oh God. Yeah, take a look at this. Lid. Oh, God. J.D. Davis banged the ball against the right field wall. He was hesitant going around second, and he eventually did. And then he comes into third. He actually should get credit for a triple because he was safe, but then he slid past the bat. And in the process of it, looks like he fucking wrecked his shoulder. Yeah, no, he he uh he tried to reach back and then uh, the guy who was coming in to tag him sort of jammed him up. So So Thrill, you just brought up something really interesting because for all of those years when you were playing, uh they not all of them, but at least until the wild card era began, you had to flat out win your division. Yeah. And you we're on a team in 1993 that won 103 fucking games, dude. Yet, you got sent home. You went bye-bye. What did that feel like? Oh, that was crushing. Oh, man. You know, so, so we're ending the season with four games in L.A. against our hated rivals. And we beat... 
Hershiza would beat um, Ramon Martinez, and I think I, I'm not sure who the other starter was in the last game. We lost to Kevin Gross, but um, you know, in the meantime, Atlanta was playing against Colorado, who were expansion team that year, and Arizona. Uh, excuse me, Atlanta beat them all 18 games that year. They were 18 and 0 against Colorado that year. What a fucking embarrassment. I dude, I was more pissed about the fact that the Colorado Rockies couldn't win a single gosh damn fucking game than yeah. I was Solomon Torres giving it up. Yeah, no. No. It was I tell you what, you know, you and I talked about it, but you know, Dusty Dusty had me go out to the mound and talk to Torres because he was having a rough first inning and he started having a rough second inning. And I went out to the mound and Dude, I mean, he couldn't even breathe. He was like this. He was like, <laughs> you know, and he had the eyeballs that are about that big. And I'm like, Solomon, dude, you gotta, you gotta find a way to breathe out here, dude. This is not a good way to pitch. You know, you, you're not gonna make too many good pitches like this. And uh, you know, by the time Dusty got him out of there, the game was damn near over. Yeah, I know that feeling though, as a manager, because Solomon Torres had great shit, and you had to believe that, hey, he could turn it around. I think that when you are managing these games, I truly feel like you give these these guys in, in big games like way too long of a leash. Does that make sense? I, I, I would – like if I were to go back and think – I think about some of the big games that we lost. And one of them was at the perfect game national championship. And – we had our guy on the mound, but you clearly could see he didn't fucking have it. Right. And I saw it right away. Yet I didn't pull him until maybe there was one out in the second inning and there were seven runs on the board. And it was like, what, what am I doing? Like, well, what, like why did it? Because I, I, I believed that he was going to turn around. And I think sometimes it's okay as a manager or if it's okay as a pitcher, if you're like, I like, fuck, man. Some days you just don't have it. Yeah, some days you don't have it. And, you know, some days you'll shove it up everybody else's ass. So that's just the way – that's the way baseball works, man. That's that's the way it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the few sports where you do everything correctly and you don't have a good outcome. I mean, if you're a pitcher – and you got your great mechanics going, you're throwing 96 miles an hour, and you spot one up on the outside corner, guy flares one to left field, and they get an RBI out of it. You go, what the shit, you know? And then yeah. here's another one. You know, you're up, at, you're up at the plate. You know, you get the pitch you're looking for. And, I mean, you just, I mean, tattoo one, and somebody's standing right there. That is why – Baseball plays 162 games. Why it's such a marathon is because not that they even out, but over the course of a full year, all of the peaks and valleys sort of make themselves a little smaller. How did you deal with having a great at bat, yet you didn't get a hit? So you pieced one to center field, line drive, right at, Whoever yeah. the fuck it was yeah. out there, let's call yeah. it Otis Nixon. Yeah. And you're shaking your head and you're going back to the dugout. How did you deal with that? Were you somebody that would, uh, 
I don't know, let out a big F-bomb and just it, it's over? Or did sometimes that carry with you? Yeah, no. No, When whenever I did it correctly, I actually wasn't pissed. I was like, shit, I, I, I pissed on that ball, you know? My yeah. thing was, my thing was, and I dropped the F-bombs and I slammed the helmet and all that. I knew that either I gave up, I was I wasn't tough mentally, you know, I didn't battle. I didn't grind that at bat. Uh, you know, I swung at a stupid-ass pitch that I knew was coming, and I beat it in the dirt. You know, shit like that. That's when I'd get pissed off. But if I did everything correctly and just tattooed one and somebody standing there, dude, that's baseball. Because everyone's firing away in the chat thrill, I got to ask you this. Would you ever consider coaching or managing for the Giants? Yeah. <laughs> You know, well, I've been asked that question a ton, and the modern day player is a little tough to manage for me. Um, I would have to hand pick my, <laughs> I'd have to hand pick some of my players. Uh, I'm not that guy that's gonna come all the time, pat you on the back, tell you how great you are when I know you're sucking hind tit. So, I know you could do it. I've spent enough time with you, dude. It's I, you know, I, I get it. We're not together every single day by any means. We've never coached a team together. But basically, for the past two and a half years, you and I have come on here on No Filter Network, and we've talked baseball. And so when it comes to managing, coaching, whatever it is in the baseball realm, I would have as much faith in you as anybody that I've ever been surrounded with in the game of baseball but i also do know that there's a lot more that goes into that than yeah. just coaching or just managing it's a complete and total lifestyle adjustment is yeah. it something that you've ever considered uh you know what i've definitely considered it um you know i love i love the x's and o's and i love the and, and I mean I don't I don't want to downplay this, but I love the gut instinct. You know the hey, ooh, this guy might might get hot today, or you know, hey, this guy had some good swings yesterday. I'm thinking today's his day. Um, I'm not gonna let some analytical person tell me, oh no, he can't hit today. It's like uh, you can tell me whatever the shit you want to tell me, but my gut instinct says that this guy's getting ready to break out. I'm a play and. Yep. That's where I would have a lot of problems with the kind of modern day game. And yeah. believe it or believe it or not, and because I talked to him, you know, I talked to Dusty Baker and I talked to Bruce Bochy. And, you know, I mean, those guys, you know, even though they they listen to the analytical dudes, they gotta walk that fine line, you know, because they need to get their gut instinct involved. Well, it's interesting because Bob Melvin is another guy that has the analytics shoved down his throat, whether it was when he was with the A's or now with the Padres. But there's a feeling that you have to act upon when you are coaching and you are managing. And, uh, dude, when somebody's swinging the bat well, I just could I couldn't imagine, like, uh, you know, you got your hottest hitter. Say he had 
three docks the day before. He went bridge. And yeah. then all of a sudden, I, I'm getting a note from the front office telling me that, you know, Bobby Bobby Bombs is not playing fucking today. Right, exactly. my, my message back to him would be, go fuck yourself and, <laughs> and suck a dick along the way. I mean, good golly, right? Like, I... I I mean, that's probably why my phone's not ringing off the hook, but I would, I, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with that. Like there's, there's common sense in all of this. And that comes with that gut feeling, right? Yeah, you got it. You got it. You got it. Hey, uh, let me, let me run this one by you because, uh, and I've, I've heard this. If I, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. Kari Baxter just even put on the freaking thing about some sort of ego. All right. Baseball players don't have ego as much as they have confidence. All right. You go out there every day, every day for eight months out the year. You don't, and guys like me and you, we didn't take days off. We go out there every day and we bust our ass to do a job that's really tough to do. And not only is it really tough to do, but it's failure-oriented at its hardest. I mean, you know, you succeed three out of ten times, and you're one of the best, all right? And that's not even saying, like we talked about before, the, you know, six or seven other times up at the up at the plate where you catch one right on the screws, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's not ego. It's a confidence thing. You have to go out there. You have to work your ass off to become one of the best that are out there. Then when you get in the batter's box or you get on the pitcher's mound, you have to know that you are one of the best. And you have to know that when the pitcher cuts the ball loose, I'm going to do my job. Or if you're the pitcher, I when I grab the ball, I'm going to throw this pitch. I'm going to locate it right here. I'm going to change the speed. I'm going to make it move, whatever it is. And so, you know, a lot of people talk about ego and all that. It's confidence, baby. You know, I worked my ass off to be one of the best. You worked your ass off to be one of the best and be a freaking big leaguer for as long as you will. And, you know, you sit there and you look at Major League Baseball over the course of the big leagues, which you're dating back to the 1870s. -hmm. There's only been 23,000 players that have been in the major leagues. And look at the population – you know, in the United States, much less the planet, all right, and you are one of the top, hey, look, you deserve everything you get. So I can tell you one thing right now. You say it's ego or you say whatever you want to say, you can kiss my ass because I worked my ass off to be one of the best. I came up in the crucial situations, and I proved that shit. And too bad if you don't like it. So, Thrill, I could not agree with you more. I think that as baseball players, our confidence is tried on a nightly basis because oh, it's yeah. a game of failure. And hell so yeah. to be able to have that confidence and have that resilience element is everything. Um, it, it's interesting because Battleborn Mike is in the chat firing away. And he's Yeah, Mike, Mike's working on tri-tip and shit like that. Oh, by the way, Mike, I picked up 100 and 50 pounds of alligator today. So uh, you will be having alligator in your future. 
Did you hear about the alligator in Florida that ate the woman? Yes, I did. I did. Matter of fact, that made big news down here as I was taking six guys from Reno, Nevada out <laughs> to kill alligators that day. Come on. Yeah. So was yeah. Battleborn Mike down there? Battleborn couldn't make it. He had to work. But some of the other idiots that we went shooting with, they all made it down there. We caught a 10-footer, an 8-footer, and some little dudes. Well, dude, I mean, yeah, you guys are shooting up the alligators, and they're fucking eating people. They ate <laughs> this woman, and we're still trying to figure out the details of what happened. But that fucker had a full belly, man. Yeah. Yep, no, it was bits and pieces. So, I mean, hey, look, that's that's the problem that they're having down there in Florida is, I mean, you know, everybody and their grandma got a little canal running through their backyard and these gators get up in there and they're just waiting on some prey. That's why, that's why, like, you know, everybody and their grandma's dogs disappear left and right or cats disappear. It's like, hey, you know, the alligator doesn't care. Linda says, my point was at the modern player, uh, is that they're not easily coachable due to being egotistical. Maybe egotistical is too strong of a word. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's it. I actually yeah, think here's, here's, the off. here's the thing. Yeah, but but check this one out. I, I mean, you know, like we said, you know, egotistical, whatever. But when you are not playing up to a standard, all right, and you have a Willie Mays or Willie McCovey or you know, Gaylord Perry or Juan Marshall, you have those guys coming around, use them. They've been there. They've done it. They've done it at the highest level. When you have an Eric Burns come around, when you have a Will Clark come around, use them. Don't sit there and say, I can't do that. Well, guess what? Uh, if you can't do it, you're still going to be hitting 240, and we're going to have the results that we're having. Yeah, one of my biggest issues in the big leagues when I got there was that the big league coaches were scared to coach. I hated that. I wanted to be coached. When I went into a rut, I wanted somebody to tell me how to get out of it. I wanted some guidance. Even if you're bullshitting me, whatever it is, tell me, hey, man, try a little bit more of a bat tip. Like, said a little bit earlier. Like, whatever it is. Like, I liked to be coached. And yeah. I yeah. feel like oftentimes, I like, literally, like, so we're going from there wasn't enough coaching to now, like, we're over coaching, which is – Fucking with the players' minds. Yeah, but guess what? You're overcoaching, supposedly. But guess what? The player has to go out there and work on it. You know, if you go out there, you take 10 ground balls or 10 fly balls, that ain't that ain't, that ain't shit. That ain't going to cut it. No. I mean, you need to go out there and take 50 or 60 or, you know, here's another thing. And, and I have not seen this. I haven't seen this this year. At least once a homestand, I had – somebody go stand behind the pitcher's mound, like directly in line with the shortstop, and they would either throw me picks at first base or they'd take a machine out there and they'd shoot them. And I picked, I picked, I don't know, 40 or 50 that day and got myself used to picking the ball, picking the ball, picking the ball. And it's like, okay, I don't need to do that for the rest of the homestand. Next time we came into town, you know, I'd, I'd go up to my infield instructor, Bob Lillis, and I was like, Bob, can I pick a few today? He's like, sure, no problem. And so a lot of times he'd get one of the backup infielders that ain't doing shit. It's like, hey, come out here and throw balls in the dirt to Will. I'm like, all right, you know, and that's how you worked on the stuff. 
But you know, I mean, I haven't I haven't seen a first baseman pick a ball this year over at first. So one of the things that we were doing the other day with Biscuit and Gianni were uh, we were hitting fungos to them at second base, and they were picking it and dropping the tag down as if the throws come in from the catcher. Another thing that we've done with our first baseman is take a fungo and hit it over to the first baseman and have them pick with that. Dude, these are drills that are done at the youth level of 12U baseball. Why would they not be done at the fucking bigly level? Correct. Correct. And and here's the thing, you know, guys, a lot of guys do what you just said. You know, they, they want to stand out at, at, at shortstop and they want to hit your fungos over to first base. I'm like, when the fuck is anybody going to be standing at shortstop hitting me a fungo? No. Huh. Grab a ball and throw that song oh, so you want to throw there. It. And, then, okay. and then I can simulate picking it from from that angle, you know, and and, you know, it just it's it's how everything's changed. I mean, here's another one. All right. And this this is a personal preference. All right. But I get why guys are doing it. You know, they got the little underarm toss like this, you know, behind the L screen and they, they're underarm tossing like that. All right. So instead of looking right here, which is where you should be looking for the baseball, now you're looking down here, you know, and the ball's coming up at you. When are you ever going to see a Tyler Rogers? There's only one Tyler Rogers in the major leagues right now. You yeah. Know? Everything well, else do... is going to be up here. Well, why not throw the ball from up there? I agree with that. I actually went so far to build a batting cage in Arizona at my house that simulated what would be like a six, four pitchers release point. So I, I had the iron mic and then I put it up on planks. And so it was releasing from up like, here. Like fire. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would do it right now with the cage that we have built down the road here, but biscuit it's 12. So, right. You know, their, their release point is actually lower. So we don't yeah, have no. it up on anything, but as he gets older, I will go ahead and do that. All right, dude, look, I got to go. I got the family downstairs. I open up a pack of 87 tops. I'm going to give you one card and one card only. And we need a story about this guy. And I, I will just tell you that before I show you, this is one of the most fantastic dirt squirrels I've ever seen. Oh, my God. All right. Which one is it, this? It, it looks like a fucking raccoon is perched on his upper lip. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Mitten. Oh my God, the Moon Man! I love him. He was just at he was just at Mike Murphy's uh, retirement party. I just had a chance to spend some time with Mooney. Um, he's married now. I think he lives in Arizona, or if he's not in Arizona, he might have moved back to the Bay Area. But um, Greg Minton was our closer in '86, my rookie year. He got to the All Star break. And damn near had not even thrown a breaking ball. He just went sinker in, sinker away, sinker in, sinker away, sinker in, sinker away. He just threw 92, 93 mile an hour, just nasty ass sinkers and uh, did a great job, you know. Greg finds pleasure in going horseback riding, apparently, according to his 1987 top score. There, there you go. And he... He likes to hunt. He likes to uh, – I know he likes to shoot the bow and arrow. I think somebody just mentioned it. Yeah, there you go. Luker even said it. He's, he says he's a Phoenix attorney. I didn't know he was an attorney, Luker. That's a good one right there. 
But, um, yeah, he definitely likes to shoot a bow and arrow. I know that for sure. All right, dude. Of all the deuces wild, that was one of them. Thrill, any final words for all of our listeners other than the fact that go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts on Spotify. If you're feeling generous, hit the fucking five stars. It's it's really not that hard. And then also, if you could put a couple kind words down there, uh, we we would appreciate it. It helps with the ranking system and, and everything else. But, yeah, throw anything – Anything for our Deuces Wild crowd tonight to uh, finish off with? You know what? I mean, you know, these these last five games, they're going to be tough for the Giants. Uh, but you want to see some positive things, you know, that come out of these last five games going into the, into the offseason, which is probably going to be coming up. We're not sure yet. But, um, you know, for me personally, uh, you know, I just want to see him. I want to see him play with some enthusiasm. You're going to have you're going to have some young guys that are going to be coming up and they get a chance to prove themselves for next year. And I want to see some enthusiasm. Yeah, that's it. Right. I mean, that's, that's all hey. we can ask for all of the things we can control in our lives is what I expect out of my children, out of my friends, out of my family. Yeah. I mean, we got, you know, we got Kyle Harrison on the mound right now. Or, no, no, we don't take that back. We got Brubby and, and now it's Alex Wood. But, you know, I want to see, you know, Harrison go out there and do his thing and, and have fun doing it. And uh, Jaylee and, you know, guys like that, have, have, have a good time doing it, you know? Well, did you, did you see? That was uh, Matt Williams, the big Marine. He just no, got man. a little TV time. Well, the look, the guy just stole third base because the third baseman's playing fucking shortstop. That's the other element of all this bullshit. Yeah. Yep. Right? Guy gets a run and lead at second base, and, and uh, the position player can't get there in time. No chance. Yeah. Anyway, I love the Big Marine. Yeah, they need to be doing video tributes for the Big Marine every time. Hey, uh, enjoyed having uh, Tara on there with her Taylor Swift uh, update for you. Yes, uh, enjoy you. your Chinese chicken salad. And uh, for everybody in the chat room, see ya!